Okay, today we are continuing with our series called Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel. We have been on element six for a while, which is receiving Jesus Christ, responding to the gospel. While I'm going through this introduction, if you would turn with me to Romans 8, I'm going to read a verse that's not, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not in your outline. But we are on element 6G, uh, which is receiving Jesus Christ, more biblical vocabulary of salvation. Or, if you want to use the more theological term, soteriology. And we actually started with talking about the Greek words for saved and saved. And uh, the, the Greek word sozo as a verb, and soteria and soterion and as nouns and adjectives and so forth. So, um, I'm not going to do much review. Our topic today, our word today is repentance. And we are going to be on repentance for at least two, but more likely three weeks, because it's a major, major biblical word. So today we're going to try to define it, see the priority repentance had in the ministries of John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and the apostles. Uh, that pretty much covers all the leaders of the New Testament. <laughs> and uh, we're going to see, uh, because that's not a priority in today's uh, Christian world. And uh, we claim to be Bible-believing, but that's because we don't really examine the Bible very deeply to find out if we really are or not. So uh, um, then I want to kind of introduce the subject to us a little bit and uh, go from there. Now, if you go with me to Romans 8, verse 29, well, you know, verse 28 is a very, verse 26, 27, 28 are all very famous verses. Uh, frankly, the whole Romans 8 is quite a famous chapter. We sing a lot of songs out of Romans 8, 29 through 39, and so forth. In verse 29, Paul is talking about things that have to do with soteriology. And he says, for whom he, that being Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, whom, uh, whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. In whom he predestined, these he also called. In whom he called, these he also justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, in those verses, he uses seven soteriological terms that we will be covering in this uh, element 6C, which is going to go on for... I don't know, 25 to 50 weeks or something, but um, or element six, that is, not C. We're on oh, G already. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll uh, be on this for a while. But what I want to help you understand today when we talk about the word repent, and I use that verse, actually, which doesn't have the word repent to, us, to help us. A lot of times when the Bible is talking about something, it may give you uh, a word that's the most representative word for that subject. And so Paul is con uh, obviously talking about the sovereignty of God in this, in, and his sovereign role in, 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 in gracious salvation to us. But he doesn't cover like every step. He doesn't say drawing. He doesn't say adoption. Uh, he doesn't say sanctification so forth, he's, it's, uh, he's hitting some of the major ideas, and if you were to draw it out as like dots, he's kind of like 
if you connected the dots, you would go through several other biblical words. He's not trying to give you a comprehensive list. Does that make sense? But he's trying to give you a representative list. And likewise, repentance uh, sometimes plays the same sort of function. If you were to talk about uh, conversion, you have to include at least uh, conviction of sin, confession of sin, contriteness of spirit, uh, repentance, trusting or faith, and trusting not just enough to be intellectually assenting, but enough to follow, obey, and shape your life after him. And, uh, and so forth. You would have to include lots, lots of that just to talk about what it means to become a Christian or turn to God. Okay, so repentance, however, is sometimes a word that symbolizes all of that. So, you know, when you see the word repent, think of being convicted of your sins deeply. Think of being contrite for your sins, because true repentance always has contrition in it. Think of being honest about your sins, because true repentance always has confession involved. Uh, think about turning away from self-determination and towards seeking God, because true repentance always has uh, God as, his, as its object. And it's not just, you know, well, that's, that's part of the problem with some of today's more legalistic versions of Christianity. It's not just a matter of um, guilt or shame or so forth, but it's a matter of turning from darkness and death to life in the pursuit of God. Eternal life is to know God the Father and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, John 17, 3 tells us. So... Uh, just keep that in mind as we go through repentance and the word repent over the next few weeks. So uh, again, Roman numeral one gives you the eight essential elements. Number six is in bold because that's what we're on. Uh, and this is our 56th message in this series. And I, I will probably be well over 100 by the time we finish. Uh, whether we'll pass 150, I'm not quite sure yet. But um, our main theme verse for this section, but it has been John 1, 11 through 13, and we're focusing on to all who received him. So what does it mean to receive him? And we've talked about how we need biblical vocabulary, and I can't stress enough that as the, as the gospel entered the Greco-Roman world, a problem that has seemed to get worse throughout the centuries uh, it started getting worse a little bit with scholasticism in the 14th century, got a lot worse with the Renaissance and then the Reformation, is that we have kind of taken a Greek and Roman mindset to a Hebrew uh, biblical faith. And so we, we've made it about do we have the right doctrine. So most people will size you up by what you believe about your doctrines, but those, if those doctrines don't lead to the right experience and the right walk with God and the right... Uh, zeal for God and the right sanctification and the and getting on the right path and the right mission and and pursuing God so that you become all he wants you to be then then you've gotten into a deception you've gotten into a Greek way of thinking which is just about abstract ideals and and unfortunately much of western Christianity uh, both Roman Catholic and Protestant live, lives there I believe certain right doctrines about the 
creed and so forth, but it doesn't translate into uh, enough into who I am and where I live and, and what I'm about and what my motivations and attitudes and actions and character are. So keep in mind when we talk about these words, these have to become daily foundations, real experiences all the time. You know, one of the main points about repentance is that repentance is every day. You cannot have a day when you, if you haven't repented several times in a day, it's probably, uh, you've probably been running from God and giving him a stiff arm throughout the day. So hopefully that helps us as we get into it. If you jump down to uh, Roman numeral six, you can see some of the words we covered so far and some of the words that are, are going to to come. Roman numeral seven, what we've covered the last three weeks. I've left a lot of scriptures in there and, and put certain ones in bold in case uh, you missed those. Of course, you can always go uh, get to Stephen Leopold and get the uh, old outlines. And we always have extras in the back. All you have to do is ask Josiah or Ambassador Stephen, help me find the outlines from the last few weeks. And you can take them home and listen to them on podcasts. And Emily usually puts them on the podcast by Tuesday night, Sunday night, what night, Emily? Anywhere from Sunday to Tuesday night, especially now with the baby. So uh, just look for them. Uh, they're almost ne- always there by Tuesday night, right? I would very rarely not make it by Wednesday. I would think. Sometimes Wednesday. Okay, so uh, midweek, you can have your own midweek service. <laughs> um, so let's uh, actually flip over and get save as much time to talk about the word repentance as possible. So I um, have two main objectives today uh, to introduce us to repentance by defining it and by showing us the priority uh, that it was for Jesus, well, for John the Baptist, Jesus, and the, and the early church. Then next week, we'll look a lot more at how the priority it was for the early church. It's a word that appears uh, either in the noun, adjective, or verb form uh, in the New Testament 160 times approximately. So that's, you know, pretty important word. It, it, it appears an average of six times per book, you know, factoring in the long books and the short books or whatever. So let's get into, uh, so the Greek verb uh, is mentoneo. Uh, whenever it's a verb form, it's going to end in omega. Uh, to change one's mind, to think differently or afterwards, or to think after, differently afterwards, that is to reconsider, to morally feel compunction or contrition, repent, to change one's mind heartily with an abhorrence of your sin. Part of our problem with repentance, we're going to get into the issue of repentance versus remorse next week, but remorse tends to focus on self and the consequences, whereas repentance focuses on the relationship with God. So... Um, You'll, you'll not ever really bear fruit in any particular area you're trying to get free from until you really come to grips with, this is keeping me from fellowship with God, and this is breaking uh, the covenant with the one I love. You know, the reason certain husbands and certain wives don't do certain things in marriage, it's because, like, how could I do that to our family? <laughs> you know, 
And it's this, that if you don't get that kind of thing going in terms of your relationship with God, you'll probably never get free of the things you need to get free with. If you don't see it as this is holding me back from intimacy with the Lord. I hope that makes sense. Uh, now, repentance, when it's used as a noun, is, a, is in, usually in the feminine form, feminine noun, meant to knowing uh, a change of mind or of purpose or deeds, compunction for guilt, including reformation, by implication, reversal of decision, reversal of deeds. Now, what I want to do today is give us eight biblical definitions of repent and repentance from um, an idea in hermeneutics, that is how to interpret the Bible, called Scripture Interpret Scripture. So we're use, what we're going to do today is give you this eight. Next week's outline is going to re, gonna, uh, repeat this list, and then we're going to go through as many of 160 or so scriptures. We'll probably get 40 or 50 of them done and show that they illustrate these eight points. Okay, does that make sense? Following me? So this week, just let's give us the eight points. So number one, repentance is primarily intellectual and volitional, which is a fancy word for your will. It's a decision you make. It's not emotional. That's why you always hear me say, the decision to proceed is yours. And, uh, you know... One of the things you've got to get delivered from is you should never, a Christian should never be saying, I can or I can't. Because it really is never about whether you can or you can't. It's, I will, I, I will or I won't. You should really ask God to put a guard on your heart and your mouth. And if you ever have rising up inside you, I can or I just can't, um, you, sh you know, right there you should repent because no temptation, every Christian, every disciple, this is our, anybody I disciple, I ask them to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you but what is common to man. And God is faithful who with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. You never have an excuse for sin. You know, you know, the sun was in my eyes, the, the 1963 World Series, the ball took a bad hop on Tony Kubek at shortstop. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, you know, he still should have got it. <laughs> no. You know, like we, uh, as we covered in confession and conviction, we are master excuse makers, blame shifters, and rationalizers, but all of that disempowers you. If it's someone else, if it's my mother bit me when I was five, I can't go back and change that. If it's, you know, I got beat up, I got molested, I, you know, I got arrested wrongfully, I spent five years in jail for a crime someone else did, it doesn't matter. First of all, God is sovereign and he can turn anything into good, even all the bad. If we learn from them, some of the worst mistakes we make can be the the very launching pads into the call of God in our life. Not that you should go out and make a bunch of mistakes, as you know they accused Paul of saying at one point. But they can be. At one of the deepest uh, failure times in my life, my father sent me a, a big manila envelope, 
And in it was all these articles he'd copied about different people who had failed big in life and used that failure as a learning lesson that, that is what, the, what they attributed that their, their you know, present success. Some of you know, uh, um, I believe, the guy who owns the New England Patriots, Logan's down store, it's there, so he'll be, wish he had his, heard this one. But, you know, very successful people, um, I, I'm thinking, I may be, does he, is, do I got the right guy? He owns Norelco as well as the Patriots? Or is that Vic, what's that? Oh, who's the, so I'm thinking of Victor Kayyem, who owns Norelco, right? But, you know, he wrote this article that basically said that uh, when he first had enough money and, and knowledge and everything that he could have really taken some product and taken it big time, national, worldwide, and mega millions, uh, he turned down Velcro because he thought it was a pretty stupid idea, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, but he he actually used looking at the thought process he went through to decide whether it was a good idea, and decided, wow, what I really need to do is in the future uh, re rethink my whole way of thinking about these things before I, you know, buy or not don't buy the idea. So anyway, um, uh, repentance is primarily intellectual and volitional, not emotional. It's a matter of our will and our decision. This is important because uh, ever since the beginning of, of the Arminian evangelical uh, kind of revivals of the 19th century, the altar call has become a big thing. But altar calls tend to be somewhat emotional. Right? And so, you know, God, I sinned again. Please bluff me again. I'm so, you know, and, uh, and I'm not against, you know, I say I'm for a whole rich emotional experience in life. Some people are too emotionally repressed. Um, I'm probably not guilty of that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I always say emotions make great servants, but they make lousy masters. I want, you know, people who aren't set free to laugh and shout and dance and, and, and have joy and so forth. I want you to be set free, to experience a full range of emotions. I just want you to be sanctified so you only get angry over what God gets angry on, not about personal things. I want you to rejoice over what God rejoices, not over worldly or fleshly things. So, um, repentance is primarily intellectual and volitional. It's not primarily, it's not based in emotion. It will have at times emotional results, but it's certainly not based in a, emotion. That's really, really important. There's an old pastor's joke where this same lady comes up every week and, oh God, I sin and, and, She's, oh, fill me again with your spirit. And, one, and then the, the old pastor goes by and he prays over her and says, Lord, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't fill her. She leaks. <laughs> it's just an old pastor's joke. We all leak. That's why we need to be refilled. But on the other hand, we need to not just focus on getting filled with the spirit. We need to learn, walk with God in a way that we leak less. So, all right, moving on. 
Number two, repentance must be radical and foundational. Now, radical, I love the word radical because I think because I came out of the 60s. And, uh, you know, I ran for student council in ninth grade and I was elected. And at the very first student council meeting, they were voting on whether the whole senior class should vote for homecoming queen or just the football team. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. I, I got on this because I thought this was going to be like a radical organization. Shouldn't we be voting on whether to have a student walk out or bomb the administration building? And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, and uh, I never came back to student council. That was my one and only student council meeting. <laughs> it's like, I mean, if we're not going to change the world, what are we doing here? <laughs> so uh, radical means to the roots to the foundation. Part of the problem that's, you know, that Paul is addressing in Galatians is people start by the spirit, but then they want to quickly reinsert performance base. So the reason when you come under conviction that you uh, get all like unable to just go, thank you, Lord, for convicting me. I'm crying out to you to change me. The reason you start beating yourself up or whatever is because you're performance-based and you're saying that in and of myself, I should have been better. And you still haven't really seen the gospel for what it is. You know, I, I see people post negative stuff about other people. On, and, I, you know, and I think, you know, like Jesus said, take the speck, you know, why do you look at the what speck in your brother's eye when the log is in your own eye? And it's kind of like, Wow, like if you don't have a deep, deep revelation of how sinful you are, like why wouldn't other people be treat everyone the wrong way? Like John used to always say to me, don't expect sinners to do anything but be sinners. You know, like so if you're upset that, you know, no one's treating you right at work or at school or whatever, well, of course, they don't, why would anyone treat you right that's a worldly lost person? Why would you expect anything different? Um, and why would you not understand that you, so were some of us, and that's not just some of us, so were all of us, but we were washed, but we were sanctified, but we were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus. This thing is out of control today. So, um, so the, if you really get both sin in the depth you need to understand it and see it in yourself, and you get grace in the depth you need to understand it, then you will never agree with obnoxious and horrible and gross sins. But on the other hand, you'll not stop loving the sinner. You'll not stop being gracious. You'll not think you're any better except by the grace of God that you didn't deserve in the first place. That's why it's so crucial. You can't really start helping anyone till you really get a full doctrine of sin and a full doctrine of grace. That's why we did the whole grace series. Because the more you experience God's grace, the more you can extend it to everyone else. And the worldly substitute is the approving of every behavior, every attitude, every motivation, except the ones that aren't currently politically correct. 
So whatever licentiousness, lewdness, lust, greed, uh, self-exaltation in sports and, and everything that people want to embrace, we stand in the pole. You know, this little kid, who was that guy? Beaverhead, Justin Beaverhead's heads are like, oh God, he's so famous. What? what? You know, he, he's just so shallow and so lost. You should have compassion on the poor kid. I mean, he... It's, it's, he's pathetic, and, 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 and therefore you can love him. And, and who, I wouldn't want his autograph. He, I would want him to come to the revelation that he'd be better off having mine. He'd be better off hearing the, my messages instead of his, because his are lost, and they're full of nonsense. So, you know, the more you understand sin, the more you understand grace, the more reality you get in, and the more you can actually help people. Repentance must be radical, and it must be foundational, and it must go to the roots of things like performance base, um, self-determination, being your own God, deciding for yourself what is good and evil, instead of letting God's word dictate it has to go to radical foundational issues in your life. And that's the issue in the church. Uh, we, have, we are averaging well over 90% of the people who walk in our doors that have been born again from, for years in Christian churches. Uh, if you would, were to apply Jesus' statements about conversion, the, the epistle statements about conversion, the, the ancient church fathers, the reformers, the Puritans, or the 19th century revivalist, there are many doubts about whether they're actually converted. And lots of people have testimonies like, yeah, uh, I became a Christian because I stopped doing all this stuff. I'm like, hopefully you stopped doing all this stuff because you became a Christian. <laughs> and because you loved God and he gave you the grace and power to do so when you realized you couldn't change. So it's got to be radical to real root truths. Repentance is the emphasis of Scripture in conversion, number three. In Acts 2, 36 through 40, at the very first sermon at Pentecost, after he demonstrates in verse 36, God has made it manifest or clear that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and they were cut to the heart because they realized their whole life had been based on waiting for Messiah to come or Christos, and waiting for Emmanuel, God with us, to come. And Peter had just demonstrated, as John opened up to us in his Element Zero, the very first podcast that's on our website. Uh, so, well, he had just demonstrated that everything they were hoping for, Mashiach, Christos, and Emmanuel, God with us, was, was in Christ, and they had killed him. The very thing they had been hoping for all their life. And, and if you don't think you're doing that as a Christian, you really haven't progressed very far in this faith yet. Religion has a way of doing that to you. And they, so they were, you know, they were convicted. You know, conviction includes admonishment. And, you know, the reason I listen to everyone who admonishes me, whether qualified or not qualified, whether it's not their business or not their business, 
is because I know the propensity of the flesh to blame, shift, excuse, make, and so forth. And I know that the Greek word for conviction means reproof or admonishment. And you cannot convict yourself. And most of the things God will show you in life will either come when you're reading the scriptures or some other good Christian literature or when a brother or sister loves you enough. And I don't care if I, you know, if I listen to 10 opinions and eight of them should have kept their mouth shut and aren't really qualified to weigh in on the subject, I'd still rather not be argumentative or, or give them a rebuttal or blame shift or throw it off in some way. I'd really rather take it home and pray into it and say, Lord, is there any reality or truth? I might even call my pastor and some other people and say, you know, this brand new Christian said this and this about me. Uh, do you think that's true? Usually Catherine knows. Your wife always knows. <laughs> She'll go, I'm so glad they brought that up. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> So repentance is the emphasis of Scripture in conversion. And conversion goes, is ongoing eventually into sanctification and maturation. As we always say, it's hard to know where you know, conversion stops and sanctification and maturation start because they kind of overlap because really sanctification is always just a more complete conversion. It's sanctification is God helping you with the things that should have been addressed at conversion because your conversion was incomplete. Now, faith to follow and obey is always part of conversion. But often the scriptures will just use the word repent to sum up repent and believe. And always when they're listed, it will always list repentance first and faith next. Repent and believe the gospel, they said. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 leads the list the foundations of the faith. And the first one it lists is repentance from dead works. And the second one it lists is faith toward God. Because repentance is always the door that opens to faith, which I think is probably the next point, right? Yeah, repentance is the uh, prerequisite for faith. It's the key that unlocks faith's door. It must occur for biblical faith to exist. Now, that's because in John 7, 17, Jesus says this. Um, if anyone's willing to do my will, he'll know the teaching that it's from God. So the reason you don't understand is because you're not willing. It's never a lack of intellectual ability, and it's never a lack of clarity from God it's you can't understand spiritual truths that you're not willing to embrace the cross, turn to, and, and crucify your flesh to, to receive. It's always that. And that's why you often see in moves of God, other moves of God split or churches split. And the people who don't like the new move of God will always say, I hate this thing because it brought confusion to our group. But the only ones who are confused are the ones who are unwilling to move on. Always. You can see it all. You read your whole Old Testament. You'll see it happen 50 times in the Old Testament. Repentance unlocks the door to 
true faith that is truly understanding, seeing, revelation, knowing that you know. Faith isn't a leap of faith like the humanists believe it is. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a type of evidence that's an overwhelming evidence because the one who actually can have an opinion, the only one whose opinion really matters, the only one who actually is omniscient, has told you so. That's why in agnostics, if, if it were true that there were no God, then their self-contradictory assumption that we know we can know nothing would be true, even though it's self-contradictory. If, but that's if there's no God. The reason we actually know is because God has revealed himself faithfully and truthfully. And I don't care how much education you get. I'm one of the five or ten most educated people in our church. But I don't know anything except by the revelation of God in Christ Jesus and in Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, and through the ages of the church. How would I know anything for certain? Because I couldn't, my finite little pea brain could never know all the facts. And that's why an agnostic will argue, well, you can't ever know anything. And they dogmatically say that you can't know anything dogmatically. We're certain that, you can, that there's no certainty. They don't see the self-contradiction thereof. But that would only be true if there was no God. Of course, they wouldn't be able to think that if that were the case. Well, let's not go into epistemology and everything. So Descartes should have uh, gone a few steps further, and he should have said, he is because I think. <laughs> Some of you will like that if you have a little bit of philosophical background. So r repentance is like, you know, um, if, if you're going to, you know, come over to a certain building, you know, there's different people in our church that are involved in different things that have a key. And the key is required to get in. We really take a dim view of you breaking the windows to get in. <laughs> so you must have repentance in order to understand anything spiritually. Those who are unwilling are always spiritually blind. Those who don't believe in God is because they're running from God. They're trying to run from the, the revelation of God within them. And in creation. I was deeply hoping this Christianity thing wasn't true before I became a Christian. Because I could, you know, I tried not to think about it, but I knew that it was going to mess up my self-determination and my desire to be, follow one high after another high after another high. And I was like, didn't want that. I didn't want God messing that up. <laughs> you know? And that's where every unbeliever is with whatever their drug of choice. or And sometimes it's because they don't want to give up their intellectual prowessness or theories or what have you. Every unbeliever is running from the revelation of God. Fifthly, repentance is the gift of God initiated by God. We're going to look at Verses like Romans 2, 4 that says the kindness of God grants repentance. Acts eleven eighteen. So God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life and so forth. But repentance is a free gift. And it's just like conviction. You can't convict yourself, nor can you be granted the grace to repent, except he's offering it to you as a Christian. 
That's why Esau sought repentance with tears, but he could only find remorse, as we'll see and talk about next week. So one of the things that, that scares the heck out of me about modern, uh, you know, if you look at our five approaches to grace in the Grace Upon Grace series, the modern approach of grace plus licentiousness, that because he forgives, we can just do whatever the blankety-blank we want. Um, and he'll forgive me. I'll just, I'll just keep going on with this, you know, this addiction and this habit and this rebellion against God and this lack of growing up and this lack of bibli serious biblical studies. And, and I'll, not, I'll not do what God is telling me to do. I'll keep procrastinating on it. because. But you're presuming on the grace of God. Because repentance might not always be there. And your heart may grow harder and conviction may start to be a harder issue. That's why every pastor knows uh, one of the most important things you do as a pastor is you try to get to know the people in the congregation. And one thing you're looking for is like, who gets convicted the most and the easiest? Because they think, they'll tell you, oh, I really need help. And you know, like, they need the least help. <laughs> right? But it's the people that don't get that convicted, they are really in trouble. The people who go on and on with the same sin week after week after week after week, they are in dangerous, dangerous territory. You know, Hebrews 5, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone else to teach you again the elementary things. When are we going to grow up? Faith, or repentance is a gift of God, is, is faith. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. And it's initiated by God. It's initiated in the words we've already studied, drawing, conviction, and it should lead to confession and repentance and renunciation that we'll be talking about and uh, so forth. So, and it should also lead to restitution. Remember once I talked about restitution in this church and we, we was in the early days when we didn't have much spiritual momentum and we were really concentrating on finding the wackiest people we could find. We're still doing pretty good at that. <laughs> that's my gift because that's where I started. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so I talked about restitution, and this guy uh, decided, he goes, I'm not coming back to this church anymore. You're preaching law, not grace. And I said, what about Zacchaeus? <laughs> you know, um, And he said, don't you understand that's why the Bible says that it's the law of Moses? Because it was just Moses' idea. It wasn't God's. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, let me give you a Christian yellow pages and help you find another church. <laughs> it was just, that's what you, you say. He actually thought it was, it was just Moses' idea. If you live long enough, you think you've heard every one of them, but someone will pull one you haven't heard before. All right, so repentance is an ongoing daily foundation. I knew we'd get there to that one. 
It's every day. That's why they used to teach little kids uh, to say their prayers on their knees before they went to bed. You had, and they had kind of a, uh, the act of contrition, and they had. I wish I could remember it. They had, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, and and all this. But um, you know, you should really take a few minutes to examine your walk with God before you go to bed every night. Read a psalm. Like David said, I will not give sleep to my eyelids or slumber to my eyes until I have found a sanctuary for the Lord. And, 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 and that's Bible speaking until when I've come into the presence of God and I'm sensing his spirit, that's when I'm going to go to bed. And in order to do that, you're going to have to spend a minute with God, maybe read a psalm or something or few verses of Proverbs or one of the parables of the Gospels or something. but um, And ask God to bring you under conviction and help you kind of go, okay, like my day got off on the wrong foot when I hit the snooze alarm for three hours. <laughs> and then when it really took a wrong turn when I ate potato chips for breakfast. <laughs> you know, and then uh, th things weren't that great when I was 15 minutes late for work. <laughs> you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, Lord, help me find grace to have a different kind of day tomorrow. Tomorrow, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. All right. Repentance is a daily foundation. And where are we? Number seven. Repentance always brings forth fruit. Now, I have had areas of my life, by the grace of God, where the fruit has come pretty quickly. And I've had the ones that it's taken years, some cases 20 years. But there's always been signs that my heart is changing and some progress is being made and so forth. And, there, you know, and, and, and it shouldn't have taken 20 years. That's more on me than it is on God. But repentance always brings forth fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Paul, we're going to see Paul before Agrippa next week. Repentance will produce ongoing changes in character and lifestyle. And ongoing is a key word there because if you're still where you were a week ago in Christ, you're backslidden. If you still know what you knew about the Lord a month ago, you're, you're totally off the path for your life. And in fact, especially in the first few years of being a Christian, you should regularly have experiences where the scriptures are opening to you and you're understanding more and habits, chains are breaking and so forth. And you go, gosh, was I even a Christian before? <laughs> you know, like that should be sort of normal. And then you realize, yes, I was a Christian, but boy, thank God that we broke a few more chains or we got a little bit more understanding or, you know. Thank God for his ongoing faithfulness. Repentance has to be ongoing. And the, the character and the lifestyle. Uh, and repentance will change your destiny. I liked, I, last night they had Back to the Future 2 on it. I realized I never had watched it before. So I didn't have time, but I watched like five minutes of it. Uh, but I like, you know, they're... What was that John, not John Bellucci, what's his brother's, the Destiny Bender, what that movie, 
Jim Belucci. Remember he had like a song, a movie about like an alternate. I like those alternate destiny movies. Like you make this decision and the, you, and everything changes, you know. Um, because that is how repentance is. Repentance is a destiny changer. When God granted me repentance from being a drug addict, it changed not only what my motivations were in life, what my attitude, who my friends were, what my goals were. It changed everything. Repentance should be ongoingly changing your destiny. Eighthly, and I guess that's all the farther we're going to get. I'm going to have to get into... Uh, uh, the priority of repentance, going to have to push that on to next week. See, you can just take whatever I say on the outline and realize that half of it's going to be pushed into next week as far as the title. It's like a rule. <laughs> it, um, now, this actually is the most important point of all. That's why I made it eighth. Eighth is the number for new birth, and, I, I'm, and it's the number of new beginnings. It's a very important number in the Bible. And I'm ashamed to say that it wasn't that many years ago when I added point number eight because I really didn't see it as clearly as I needed to. And that, you know, of course, repentance is ongoing. Under truth is you should always be growing in grace. I didn't, I used to have seven points on this message back in the 80s and, and even in the 90s. And eight is by far the most important point. Repentance is not only from but it's most importantly toward God. Repentance is, you know, about Isaiah 50, come and seek the Lord. Come and eat bread come and, that you didn't pay for and so forth. Uh, it's time to seek the Lord while he may be found. Repentance is always got God as its object. You'll get into performance-based condemnation if you only make the sin the object. And you'll never get, like, you know, this is a word, I really especially want to give this, you know, a lot of people know that I struggle with gluttony. And these days, a lot of single guys struggle with internet porn, and, and I believe, uh, from what they say, apparently women do some. Uh, so, you know, just so you understand this, you'll never overcome it until you begin to realize that stands between you and God. I don't care if you're dealing with lack of spiritual disciplines, um, procrastination, laziness, getting to bed too late so you get up too late, whatever, you know, like you'll never overcome anything if it doesn't become a matter of this is robbing my intimacy with God this is robbing the, the depth I know, God. This is causing me not to understand truth. The Bible makes associations that would be crazy to modern people. Like Luke in Luke 6, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. If you're faithful with unrighteous mammon, God will entrust its true riches. Do you know that when you not only tithe, but hopefully you tithe to your savings account, and when you say no to all the things the advertising industry tells you you need. And when you handle your finances under the way God wants you to, it will actually open your eyes to, to God himself and to all sorts of biblical revelation. 
But if you're not faithful in your job and vocation and, you know, if anyone doesn't work, neither let them eat or whatever. And if you're not, if you're like, uh, live on credit card debt, love owning anything except to love one another and so forth. If you're unfaithful with your financial principles, it'll actually cause you to be blind spiritually. And when you're faithful consistently and sacrificial consistently with your finances, you know, I, I do not understand why the TV preachers just say you'll get more money back. You'll get something far more important than money. You know what? I, I've never missed that many meals. I live in America. Am I really worried that, like, I'm going to starve? Now, my house is a disaster, but it does, the roof doesn't leak. <laughs> you know, it's embarrassing to have people over, but the heating and air conditioning and the roof and works, and my study functions just fine. <laughs> you know, like, I, that, who cares if I'll get more back? What you'll get back with financial faithfulness is God himself. And you'll actually be deceived and lose your vision of God when you're not financially faithful. We have been talking in our elders meetings about John maybe starting a, some kind of maybe Tuesday night meeting or something just to teach us about finances. Because so many American Christians are out of control financially. And you'll never know the Lord if you are. It's amazing the associations God makes that we, I would never think that paying my tithe will cause me to have more wisdom with my kids. But it would, and it will. So next week, let's start on more about repentance, which now we may be on three or four weeks. It's a big word, big six-letter word in the Bible.